Hello, this is Ashley Chase welcoming you to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. For more content from my dad, Pastor Mark, Senior Pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, visit realfaith.com, where you'll find study guides to go along with each sermon series as he preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible, daily devotions, free ebooks, and more. Now grab your Bibles and get ready for today's sermon. All right, we are in a New Testament book called Jude. If you've got a Bible, go there or find it on your phone. We're in Jude verses five through 10. And the question this week is, are you a woke Christian? And if so, you've got an hour to fix that. And, uh, and I'm here to help. Now, 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 let me just say this. This is the most, uh, this is the most undertaught book of the New Testament, Jude. And this particular section we'll be in today is the most complicated in the New Testament, maybe the whole Bible. Uh, And I've been working on the sermon, I've been praying. Let me just pray now that I can take what is really complicated, but try to make it very practical for you. Father God, I I confess I've been wrestling with this scripture all week, trying to get your, your intention for these dear people. God, would you please send the Holy Spirit right now to bless the reading and the preaching of your word. And God, for those who are going to have resistance to what you have to say, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would flood their mind with learning, that you would flood their heart with passion, and that you would flood their life with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me set up the book of Jude. Uh, Jude was Jesus' half-brother. And so he grew up sharing a bunk bed with Jesus. Uh, His mom and dad were Mary and Joseph, and uh, Jesus was his half-brother. And like we've established, it sounds really great until you think about it. Every time you and Jesus have a disagreement, you're the one who gets the spanking, right? It's always your fault. It's not like, hey, you're fighting with Jesus. Like, well, it was you, Jude. It was, it's always you. And so he had a perfect big brother, which had you know a lot of upside, but some downside. And then his brother, Jesus, grew up and started saying, I've come down from heaven. I'm God, become a man. I have committed no sin. You will crucify me and I will rise from the dead. And his family thought he had lost his mind. His family thought he had lost his mind. And then Jude saw his brother die, Jesus, and then saw his brother rise from the dead. And then Jude, along with the rest of the family, became worshipers and followers of Jesus Christ. And now his big brother is his Lord God and Savior. Jesus rose from the dead, returned to heaven, and then Jude went into ministry with his brother James. They write books of the New Testament bearing their name. And he is an ardent defender of his brother as sinless, perfect, risen from the dead, Lord God and Savior. What happens then, Jesus returns to heaven and Christianity, the early church explodes. After a while, this worship of Jesus is spreading and the church is growing. And then some people invaded the church claiming to be Christians, but denying the truth of Christ. And what happened was they were so popular and they were so bold and they were so arrogant and organized that they threatened to overtake multiple local churches. This was a progressive invasion to the church of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that Satan did in heaven when he declared war on God. This is now a demonic spiritual warfare where a progressive force is trying to push itself into the church and to change the message of Jesus Christ. These people, as you will see today, they were very bold. They were very proud. They were very spiritual. They talked about seeing angels and having dreams and visions. God spoke to me. God revealed to me. In addition, they had new interpretations of Old Testament scriptures. God's given us new insight into his old word. In addition, they despised all authority. They could not be dealt with in any way because they recognized no one as having any authority over them and they were particularly spiritual and tremendously sexual. This is always the same progressive agenda. And so there was such a conflict and division because these people said, we love Jesus and we wanna help the church and we're just trying to improve and upgrade and update the church and and you're our brothers and sisters and you just need to tolerate us. And the, the Christian church was in jeopardy And so they needed to call someone to make the decision. Is this progressive agenda from God or from Satan? Should we accept it or reject it? So they called forth Jude. If anybody knows what Jesus wants, it would be his brother. 
If anybody would know what would be right for the church of Jesus Christ, it would be the brother of Jesus Christ. Jude only writes one book of the New Testament. It's one simple page and he has one task to determine whether or not this progressive agenda was from God or Satan. And he is emphatically, overwhelmingly clear. It's all demonic, it's satanic, it's wrong, it's evil, it's corrupt, and it must be rejected. That being said, things have not changed. We're dealing with the same invasion, the same progressive agenda seeking to change not just the culture, but the church. To say, we have, we have a new interpretation of the Bible. We have new revelation. We have new supernatural insight. We have our own authority. We wanna be part of the church. And ultimately, we wanna change sex, gender, marriage, and sexuality. We're gonna deal with all of this today. And, and, the, and the strength of Jude's language is simply this. He wants us and them to contend. That's the theme of Jude in verse three. Contend for the faith. It's a military word, it's combat, it's conflict. And it is the Christians versus the apostates. And the apostates are not lost people that don't know Jesus. Ultimately, these are people who say that they know Jesus, but they are like Judas. They don't love him, they don't obey him, they don't serve him, they betray him. And so what he says in verse four, certain people have crept in. This is an invasion to the Christian church. Not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Not every pastor is going to heaven. Not every denomination honors God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven because Jesus will say to some, depart from me, I never knew you. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Verse four, ungodly people. Oh, we love the Lord. We believe in the Bible. We just have a different interpretation. You're a brother and sister. We're supposed to love each other. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. That is sexual perversion. And deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Today, this same progressive invasion is overtaking the entire church of Jesus Christ in the West, particularly evangelical Christianity. Today, it will go by words like progressive Christians, red letter Christians, open and affirming churches, inclusive Christians, social justice Christians, um, the new evangelicals, um, deconstructionists, and those who would say they are woke, which is a counterfeit of being born again. And so what Jude does, and this is what we're going to do, the Bible says that it is a weapon for war. It is a sword, that's what it says. And what happens is there is confusion about where certain lines are to be drawn. And so Jude writes a book of the Bible and he quotes other books of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament that we'll get into in a moment. And what he says is there's the world and there's the church and the lines drawn are drawn by God in his word, never to be erased and not to be moved. Amen. And so that's, that's exactly the battle that we find ourselves in. And so what we wanna look at, we wanna look at, okay, where does God draw the lines between truth and error, between good and evil, between God and Satan, between right and wrong, between the church and the world? We'll have four tests. Test number one, repentance. Jude, verse five. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So he says, let me remind you of something. And what he's doing, he's going back to the Old Testament book of Exodus to the days of Moses. And these are Jewish people who are descendants of those people who were liberated in the Exodus. So this is their family history. And he says, I want to remind you of something. And let me just, let me just say this. The Bible often uses the word remind. The apostle Paul is also quite fond of it. And sometimes people come to church and be like, I didn't learn anything new. Well, that's because that sermon was to remind you of things that you've learned, but haven't done. Okay? A lot of you are like, I need to learn some new things. No, 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 you've learned a lot. You need to do the things you already know. How many of you have raised a child, right? Do you need to tell them something more than once? Yes or no? Yes. 
you can't, when they're three, it's like, hey, when you grow up, be a virgin until you're married and stay sober and heterosexual and don't vote for liberals. You know, like, okay. And then at, and then at 22, you're like, I told you that. And they're like, I, I, don't, I don't remember. That was a long time ago. And so what happens is sometimes God, like a father to a child, he reminds us because we forget or we haven't obeyed what he said. Right, how many parents, you told your kids more than once to do something? We're the children of God. And what he's saying here is this, he's saying, let's look at them as a case study and an example. So they were in slavery and bondage in Egypt for 400 years, and then God delivered them supernaturally through the leadership of Moses and signs and wonders during what was the most intense period of supernatural activity recorded in all of scripture. And he says that this God has a name who delivered them. His name is Jesus. He says, Jesus saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is the God of the New Testament. Jesus is the God of our day. Jesus Christ is God. And when the Bible speaks of God from beginning to end, it's talking about Jesus, okay? And here's what he says. He says, God delivered them freed them, now they can do what they want. And then God did two things amazingly. He freed them and then every day he fed them. And what did they do? They worshiped a Baal, a bull, a golden calf. They had lots of illicit sexuality and they died and went to hell. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean you're saved. Just because God has showed up in your life doesn't mean you have received him as Lord over your life. How many of you, God has done great things for you. He's been in your life. He's provided for you. He's cared for you, but you don't care for him. And see, what he's saying is you can grow up in an environment where you are surrounded with God's presence and God's people and then die and go to hell. So you can be born into a Christian family. You can go to a Christian school. You can be baptized in a Christian church. You can have your wedding in a Christian church. You can attend Christian services. You can die and have your funeral in a Christian church and go to hell. Because if you have not repented of your sin and received this Jesus as your savior, you may be blessed, but you may not be saved. So my question to you, have you repented of your sin? Have you recognized I am a sinner and I need Jesus, this God who delivered them to deliver me and to be my savior? And there are people that are spiritual, that are people that are part of the community of God's family. There are people that God is good to, but they don't love him and they don't repent of their sin and trust in his son. Number two, the second test, humility. Jude six, and the angels. We're gonna talk a lot about angels. Who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling or place. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Okay, we'll get into angels in a moment. Um, first, let me give you a gift. Uh, my wife, Grace, and I wrote a book called Win Your War. It's on angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. We're gonna get into this theme. I'm gonna cover as much as I can, but we'll put a QR code on the screen. If you've got a phone, just grab it. You'll get it for free. I'll give you a digital copy for free. Okay, so as I always say, you get what you pay for. This is free, lower your expectations, but I, I love you. And, and let me just give you some free Bible teaching. So here he's talking about angels and angels are divine beings. You are one person, two parts. You have a body and a soul, okay. a body and a soul. We are physical and spiritual beings. In the unseen realm, in the spirit world, there are other beings called angels. They don't have a body, but they have immaterial being like our soul. Angels do three things in the Bible. First, they are worshipers of God. When we see them, they are singing and they are worshiping. And after I'm done with this very encouraging sermon, we're gonna sing some songs and we're gonna worship. And you know what, when we worship, our worship goes into the presence of Jesus in the unseen realm. 
And as the angels are worshiping him, our worship joins theirs. And then we see heaven and earth get a little closer together when we enter together into worship because that's what the angels are constantly doing in the presence of Jesus. Number two, they are messengers. They are often sent by God to deliver a message. So for example, when Jesus' mother Mary learned that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, an angel came and delivered the news. Same thing happened to her husband, Joseph. Thirdly, they're worshipers, uh, messengers, and they're also ministers, they go serve. You're gonna read about this as we get a little deeper into the story. Some angels showed up as ministers in the days of Abraham in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. When they show up, angels in human history, they appear to be human beings. They come sort of disguised as it were. They're coming undercover to serve the Lord. In some regards, angels are kind of like God's staff in the supernatural realm. Our church has got staff and leaders. What do we do? We worship God, we speak for God, and we serve God's people. That's, that's ministry. That's what angels do. When it comes to angels, some of you haven't learned a lot about angels and demons, or much of what you've learned may not be true. The Bible talks a lot about angels and also demons, which are fallen rebellious angels. 300 plus times the Bible speaks of angels in roughly 90% of the books of the Bible. Some of you grew up in churches that didn't talk a lot about the spiritual. Well, the Bible does. And it says that there are angels and there are demons. And the number of angels is unknown, but the Bible says that there are quote, innumerable angels, so there's a lot of them. Only three angels in the Bible have names. Michael, that you're going to learn about today, Gabriel, who brought the message to Jesus' mother, and then Lucifer, a fallen angel, who we now know as Satan. In addition, two things to note, angels are not God, and they're not equal to God. God is the creator, they're created. God has all the divine attributes, they do not. God is all present, they need to travel as we do. God is all knowing, they need to learn as we do. God is all powerful, and they are not. In addition, angels are not human beings. They don't have a gender as we do. They are a spirit being. They don't have a physical body, so they're not male and female as we are. So they're, they're somewhat like us and somewhat like God, but ultimately not identical to either. Now, when it comes to these angels, here's what he's saying. Um, they did not stay within their position of authority in their proper dwelling. What he's talking about here are angels who fell, rebelled, and became demons. And you need to know that demons are still at work in our world. There are powerful cultural forces of evil at work in our world. And the Bible says that our war is not just against flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, and spirits. Behind the war we see is always a war that God sees. And what he's saying here is that the angels who became demons, they did not have humility. So let me just talk about Humility, and, and, and no human being can say, I'm humble. If you do, you're proud, right? right? So all we can say is we're proud people that are pursuing humility by the grace of God. And humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And it's thinking of God and others more. And humility allows you to accept your place. The problem with demons, they were proud. Now, I know we live in a world where pride is a virtue, not a vice. We have a whole pride month. We don't have a humility month. We just don't. And everybody's like, I need to have a high self-esteem. Why? You, you, have you met yourself? Like you, maybe low would be more, anyway. so. What happens is we live in a world where pride is a virtue and in the Bible, pride is a vice. In fact, one of the titles for Satan is that he is proud. And Satan and demons, their issue is pride. And what he's talking about here is that demons fell because they didn't accept their place humbly. So the Bible says that there is God and then there are angels and then people. This is the chain of command or hierarchy. I think it's Hebrews 2, 7 says that God has made us a little lower than the angels. So God, angels, us. What certain angels wanted to do, they wanted to, they wanted to occupy God's seat of authority and sit on his throne. They decided we don't wanna be under authority, we wanna be our own authority. 
We don't want to do it. We're told uh, we want to do what we want. We don't, we don't want to honor God. We want to be God. We don't want to worship him. We'd like to dethrone him and we'd like others to worship us. Friends, we just need to accept humbly the place that God has appointed for us. If God's appointed you to lead, lead. If God has appointed you to follow, follow. And what we have now is an entire world that rebels against all authority. Children are taught to dishonor their parents. People are taught to dishonor law enforcement. Over and over and over, it's just constant encouragement of rebellion. We need to take those people out of authority and we need to be in authority. What he's saying is, it's demonic. That's what he's saying. If you are an arrogant person, you are susceptible to demonic pride. Pride is a problem, not a solution. And we live in a world where everyone thinks that they should be in charge and very few are qualified to occupy seats of authority. And rebellion and anarchy does not lead to human life and flourishing. It's why Satan was cast out of heaven, cast down to the earth. Revelation 12, seven through nine comes to mind because God doesn't tolerate arrogance, pride, dishonor, disregard, destruction of rightful authority. He casts it out of heaven. There's no place in a culture that is committed to God to be absolutely anarchist and rebellious. It's demonic. It's demonic. And I'm off my notes, but we saw this. I mean, we see this with, hey, uh, one police officer did something, so, so let's get rid of all police officers and let people do what they want. Well then, okay, let's burn the city to the ground. Let's make unlivable human condition because someone did something bad. And I see complete, total cultural hypocrisy. It's not like, oh, I saw a teacher do something bad to a child. Let's defund the teachers and burn the schools down. Because ultimately, the demonic is always going after order and authority and rightful protection of human life and property. What he's saying is this is demonic. Number three, test number three. It's a little intense. Is it just me or does it feel a little intense? Um, now, we're gonna spend a lot of time on this one. Test number three, sex, right? Is Jesus Lord of your underwear? That's the question. <laughs> Verse seven, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example. Serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So we'll talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. What I love when you preach through books of the Bible, you hit some things that otherwise you probably wouldn't pick for a series, right? Hey, let's talk about people on fire. Um, but that's what it says. So here's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's back in the book of Genesis. You can go to realfaith.com. I preached every verse of the book of Genesis. If you wanna look into it, it's all there. So there was a, a town called Sodom and Gomorrah. It's two nearby towns and then surrounding smaller villages, cities. And they were absolutely committed to sexual sin. No boundaries of any sort or kind. God waited patiently and then his patience came to an end. And God decided that he was going to send a nuclear strike to eviscerate everyone and everything in that region. If you're not gonna stop, I'll make you stop. Okay, this is what God does. Now, the problem is there's one guy who moved his family into Sodom. I don't know why, he's a believer, he's like, Oh, I, there's a good deal on real estate in the Bravo section of Vegas. You're like, I don't know, why, why, are you, why are you moving your family there? You know, just rent. I mean, you know, like, you know, 
so, so he moves his wife and his two daughters into Sodom. So God's like, I'm gonna send a nuclear strike, literally flaming road tar. And, but the problem is there's a believing family there. So God sends two angels in as messengers and ministers. They come appearing as men. And the goal is to get Lot and his family out before they're destroyed. He is a relative of Abraham. And if you know anything about Lot, he's a lot of problems, a lot of drama, a lot of stupidity, a lot of foolishness. He's a lot, okay? He's a lot. Here's what happens in Genesis 19.5. The angels appearing as men show up. It says they, the men of Sodom, and in context, that previous verse in Genesis 19.4 has a haunting phrase. It says, as the men showed up, I'll read it to you in a moment, all the other men of the city came outside of the house and said, hey, let them out. We wanna sexually enjoy and or assault them right now. And it says in verse four, the males, great and small, little boys, little boys, little boys that had been abused by older men and then groomed to participate in that which is absolutely despicable and deplorable. And and the same pressure is in our day to sexualize children at the youngest possible age. So two angels show up and all the men of the city are, oh, we heard there's two visitors. We've we've had sex with everybody else in town. If there's two new guys, we, we want to sleep with them too. They, the men of Sodom, including the boys, called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Well, howdy, Pastor Mark here. I hope you're enjoying this sermon. And uh, if you have prayed for or partnered with us, thank you. You're helping us reach 200 million people through Real Faith Ministries this year alone. My wife, Grace, and I, uh, we love getting Bible teaching out, and we have got a veritable mountain of free content that's all available at realfaith.com. If you're married, we got a podcast. If you've got kids, we've got parenting resources. If you're a guy trying to get better and level up, we're here to help with real men. And for those of you who pray or give or help us in any way, we just want to say thanks. It means the world. We are entirely supported uh, by our partners who give generously. And if you would like to give a gift of any amount, uh, we stretch every dollar. Uh, I'm told for every dollar you give, we're able to reach 100 people with some sort of gospel-based, Jesus-centered Bible teaching. For a gift of any amount at realfaith.com, we'll send you uh, an ebook that I'm super proud of. It's my systematic theology with Gary Bashirs. It's called Doctrine, subtitle, It's All About Jesus. Some years ago, I published uh, the Doctrine book, but I rewrote it. It's about 50 to 60% new. The Doctrine is the same, it's deeper, it goes more into the Holy Spirit and the demonic. And I'd love to get this massive resource into your hands. So thanks in advance for your prayer and partnership. Pastor Mark, they're consenting adults. Pastor Mark, they're, they're not hurting anybody. Uh, Pastor Mark, uh, you're supposed to be tolerant. And, and God says, nuclear strike. <laughs> let, let me just tell you this. Hell is tolerant. Everybody's welcome. Heaven isn't. You need Jesus. That's just the way it is. So, what, so as soon as this happens, there's an entire group of people in Jude's day as well as our day. They're like, oh, we have a new interpretation of Genesis. Yeah, that's, that, it sounds like sex, but that's not what the word means in the Hebrew. You're not a Hebrew scholar. You're just a horny man. You know, it's just, you know, and so, but the word is consistently translated sex. It's in It's in the study guide. I show my work. You can get the study guide at realfaith.com or on the way out. Three times in chapter four, twice in chapter 19 of Genesis, and once in chapter 24, it's translated sex. The guy's like, hey, we want to have sex with those guys. In addition, all the English translations that are sane, they all translate this word 
Accordingly, fornication or impurity, immoral sexual relations, sexual sins, perversions, gross sexual immorality, lust of every kind, sexual promiscuity, sexual perversions, the wrong way of using sex and whoredom. I might just point out, those are all negative. <laughs> right? I mean, So he uses this language that what they're guilty of and what is incensed God's wrath is their unnatural desires. Hmm. Okay. I know some of you are progressive and you're liberal. So when you go to the grocery store, how many of you like the natural section? The organic section? You're like, oh, I like the, that's, that's good for you. Yeah. Don't just be natural at the grocery store, be natural in your bedroom, right? Anyways, so, so natural is the way that God created it and intended it. Unnatural is a deviation from that which is natural. Okay. I'll just, like, my caring meter broke a long time ago. I'll just tell you right now. It just broke. So four things, sex, gender, marriage, sexuality. So according to the Bible, sex, we are made male and female, okay? Male and female, right? You're like, and if you don't know, like, the plumbing is an indicator which team you're on, okay? <laughs> Male and female. Sex, gender. Men should be masculine. Women should be feminine. Anything other than that is unnatural. So, so the Bible has a crazy line. I did a whole series on it for real men. Act like a man. You know what that means? There's men and they should act like men. That's what it means. I know it's a crazy interpretation. <laughs> I'm gonna let you in on a secret. I'm a man <laughs> and I'm masculine, okay? My wife is a woman. I'm so happy to report she's not masculine. <laughs> she's feminine. Sex, gender, marriage. Marriage is for one man, one woman. <laughs> And then they consummate their covenant and they have sex. Sex is between a husband and a wife who are masculine and feminine, male and female. And then this is so natural, it actually produces more people. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's so effective, it multiplies. It's insane. Okay. So then you're supposed to raise sons and daughters. It's in the Bible. It doesn't say androgynous children who get to determine in the public school at nine. It says raise sons and daughters. To, be, to grow up and be men and women who are masculine and feminine and get married and have sex and give you grandkids. That's the plan. Everything else, unnatural, unnatural, super quiet. <laughs> Am I not being clear? I, 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 okay, so if, let's say you're a man, but you try to become a woman, unnatural. You're a man, but you're effeminate, unnatural. You, 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 you wanna get married to somebody, but it's not the opposite sex and gender, unnatural. You wanna sleep with somebody that's not the opposite gender and your spouse, unnatural. Pastor Mark, that's offensive. Look, I love you. I'm just telling you a nuclear strike is coming and you wanna determine what team you're on before it hits. That's all I'm saying. So, so just, just assume and presume that everybody did what God said in the Bible, okay? You know what? We would have no rape, no sex trafficking, no sexual assault, no sexually transmitted diseases, no abortions, 
no single parents, it would, it would eradicate and eliminate poverty. We'd have no pornography, we'd have no fornication, we'd have no broken hearts, we'd have no gender reassignment surgery, population would boom, the economy would thrive and nations would rise. Right? Okay. And, and instead people are like, but it feels good. I know, but you're ruining the earth. So it's a thing. Okay, so for both of you that are still tracking, um, what happens is people then will go to um, the Bible and they'll say, oh, I don't think Sodom and Gomorrah is real. I don't think that actually happened. I think it's a, it's a, it's a repressive book, uh, oppressive book written by patriarchal men who were trying to uh, silence sexual minorities a long time ago. So they made up these crazy stories like Sodom and Gomorrah, but that never happened. That was a myth. Okay. Um, so um, I'll share with you the archeological evidence that God sent a nuclear strike to all the naughty people in Sodom and Gomorrah and a lot of people went to hell with no pants on, okay? So, so this, this is a scientific report and it comes out from um, nature.com. This is not a Christian organization by any stretch of the imagination. What happens is the Bible is true and eventually the sciences and social sciences catch up. Now, they actually determine that it happened. I'll read it, the summary to you in a moment. It's a 64 page study. It's so small, I can't read it because I'm gonna be 53 in a few weeks. And here's what the non-Christian archeologists have uncovered. That there was in fact, complete destruction at the same time as Sodom and Gomorrah in the same region with the same devastation. I'll just read the sum summary for you. Are you ready? Yeah. The biblical sin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah says the non-Christians could have been destroyed by a meteor cloudburst that incinerated all 8,000 inhabitants. The giant space rock exploded over the town, creating a fireball, nuclear strike. Now, there seems to be hard evidence. They're like, we wish, you know, like, it happened. Okay? Hard evidence that a quote unquote heavenly event really did happen around that time. The cosmic calamity laid waste to the Jordan River Valley's northern shore, raising a huge hundred acre city to the ground. It also exterminated other cities and multiple small villages. There would have been no survivors. Detonation occurred about 2.5 miles above the ground. Even at that distance, the blast created a 740 mile an hour shockwave. Do not be deceived. You will reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Human remains suggested they had been blown up or incinerated with extreme disarticulation and fragmentation of bones. Quote, we saw evidence for temperatures greater than 2000 degrees Celsius. We just saw fires hit in Hawaii, not even half that hot. Says study lead author, Professor James Kennett of the University of California at Santa Barbara. You know, that vast right-wing conspiracy of the University of California system. Those Bible-believing lunatics. An international team also found building materials and pottery shards melted into glass. Mud bricks had heat bubbles. These are all indications of unusually high temperatures, which would have occurred during the biblical account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah this is, the, this is the unbelievable line. There was no man-made technology at that time that could have produced such astonishing damage. So in Jude's day, they're like, we got a new interpretation of the Bible. She's like, don't do that. Some guys tried, they lost. 
Now, let me talk about our world. The world we live in has gone from accepting people born that way to evangelizing people to become that way. See, I've been preaching for about 30 years and for many, many years, the general report was about 4%-ish of Americans are not heterosexual. And the argument was made, well, they're born that way. And I would say, no, 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 that's not natural. And they have a sin nature, so maybe their desires are unnatural. We're all sinners by nature and choice. We just follow our heart, we all go to hell. But we were told is they're born that way. So we just need to, you know, we just need to embrace this small percentage of people. Well, it's gone from born that way to become that way. And it's gone from accepting to evangelizing. Just like Christianity has evangelists, we're saying, hey, change your identity and and give yourself to Jesus. There's a culture now saying, change your identity, give yourself to sex. And so here's what we're seeing. Um, Here's one study that is is interesting. This is the, uh, the secular pride study that came out. And here's what we're seeing. Every generation is becoming more and more sexually unnatural. Millennials are those between the ages of 27 and 42, 10% identify as LGBTQ and whatever the rest of the alphabet soup is this week. When you move down a generation to generation Z, ages 11 to 26, that percentage goes up to 18%. In addition, here's what they found at Brown University. 40% of students polled at Brown University are no longer heterosexual. What we are not seeing is people born this way, but people becoming this way because there are cultural pressures encouraging them to be celebrated. And if you're a kid that is confused or you're a kid who just wants to be accepted or you're a kid who is struggling as everyone does in their teens and 20s, there is one way to be celebrated and that is for you to do things that are unnatural. And that bothers me, but what really bothers me is when there is an invasion of the church of Jesus Christ. That's where Jude is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. And what he's saying is there's a line. God God drew the line. God reinforced the line. God punished people who crossed the line as an example and a warning. And this apostasy is nothing new. In Jude's day, it was so powerful that it took Jesus' own brother to speak out against it. Now, when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, we do not edit the word of God. We do not ignore the word of God. We heed and obey the word of God. But this apostasy, it is Massive. Let me give you six Christian denominations that now sanction same-sex marriage. The Christian Church of Disciples of Christ, 3,700 churches. The United Church of Christ, 4,700 churches. The Episcopal Church, 7,200 churches. And I hate to even use the word church. There's another line in the Bible, synagogue of Satan. That's an alternative. Presbyterian Church USA, 8,700 churches. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, 8,900 churches. And the United Methodist Church, 28,000 churches. That's over 60,000 churches. That represents in just those six denominations of apostasy, millions of people because the counterfeit of repentance of sin is tolerance of sin. And let me just say this, some of these churches and some of these pastors, they love the Lord and they're not apostate, but they are in a very difficult situation. They're the spiritual equivalent of the Ukrainians. Enemies have invaded and taken over their denomination. So pray for them. Oftentimes the denomination owns the church building. It owns the house that the pastor and his family lives in. It controls their retirement. And this is a slave situation. 
and the denomination is the master. When you drive by these churches, there is now, there is now a sign that they like to point out and to put out. God is still speaking. This is the sign. And what they're saying is, God used to say things in the Bible, but God has changed his mind. This is a clever way of saying, God made some mistakes and he's now correcting them. God said some things and he is now editing them. This means that God is not entirely truthful and that ultimately God is like us and he's a sinner who needs to clean up his errors. This is a completely, let me say this, when God says something, he got it right the first time and he needs no editing of any sort or kind. So let me, let, me, let me come at this issue of sex from a different perspective. Some of you think, Mark, you're very unloving, intolerant, bigoted, you're a hate preacher, call me what you want, right? I call the shots, I take the shots. I'm a big boy, that's fine. But let me say this. We now live in a world where we are sexualizing and traumatizing children and it's evil. I'll prove it to you. Here is the uh, National Institute the National Library of Medicine uh, came out with this. Here's just their summary. This is off their website. Follow the science. Right. <laughs> Higher prevalence of adverse childhood experiences in transgender than cisgender individuals results from a single center observational study. Big words. Here's what I, here, let me just summarize it. Children and adults who struggle with gender dysphoria and that is that you don't feel that your body and your identity are congruent. So I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. People who struggle with this mental condition of gender dysphoria, they have an inordinate amount of trauma in their history. That's what they say. And I don't think it's loving to expose children to soft pornography on social media. I don't think it's loving to expose children at increasingly young ages to hard pornography on the internet. I don't think it's loving for children to experience trauma of any sort or kind, especially sexual at the hands of an adult. And because we have eradicated and eliminated all the lines that God draws, the result is children are being abused and traumatized at younger ages in greater numbers. It is evidentiary, it is undeniable. So then those children, they become curious because from a very young age, they're told in school, um, you know, what's your pronoun? What's your sexuality? They're like, I'm nine. My diet still includes crayons. I am not ready. <laughs> to make my sexual decision for the remainder of my life. The result is then those children become curious. So then they start abusing each other. Well, we learned in school, there's different kinds of genitalia. Let's, let's, let's examine that. So it's adults and children traumatizing and abusing children. Those children grow up and they're like, I have mental health issues. Suicidal ideation, depression, record unprecedented mental health of emerging generations, unprecedented. And, and what we should be doing is not sexualizing children, but treating trauma. Let's protect them. And if something happens to them, let's get them treatment and help for the trauma that they've endured. And let's let nature take its course and see if when they grow up and they're ready to make adult decisions about sex, gender, marriage, and sexuality, if perhaps they don't think a little differently than when they're minors in trauma. And so as soon as we speak about this, we're like, you're so hateful. Look, I love children. I'm a father of five. I'm a grandfather of two. I've been a pastor for 30 years because I care about people. And everything we are doing is breaking and lying to and destroying the next generation. That's what's happening. So let me say this as well. We've got one more section. Um, 
But let me just say this. Every one of us struggles in some form or fashion with sexual temptation, true or false? Can we just be honest in God's house? There's only two kinds of people that don't struggle sexually. Dead people and liars. That's it. That's it, right? Everybody else struggles. And so we just struggle in different ways. If you're single, you wanna fornicate. If you're married, you wanna commit adultery. Some of you struggle with pornography. Some of you struggle with other unnatural desires. Let's just be honest, we all struggle. But when it comes back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, there were four reactions to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you've got to decide, my friend, what your reaction will be. Because I'll just tell you this, we live in the United States of Sodom. And every single one of us is in a culture that is at least as dark and depraved as the days of Lot. We can't, Billy Graham, I think it was, said this some years ago. He says, if God doesn't destroy America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And that was decades ago. It's not like we're doing better. We all got purity rings, we're doing great. No. So when it comes to the culture and the temptation, the unbelievers didn't leave Sodom. They loved it. We love it. We're shopping at Target, we got Pride Month, we got a parade, we got drag queens, we got a transgender bishop, my underwear's on my head, and I'm the principal of the school. Like, that's Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And it's like, hey, you guys need to leave. They're like, we love it so much, we can't, we'd rather die here than leave. And then there's Lot, his wife, and their two daughters, so four people. So they're, they're walking away from Sodom and Gomorrah with the assistance of the angels. One person stops. Who was that? Lot's wife. She turned around. She's like, I miss Sodom. I think she was gonna head back. I think she was looking back so she could be going back. Lot's wife is an apostate. She would say that she belonged to God and she was with God's people, but when she had to make the most critical decision of her life, and that was, what is my identity and where is my citizenship? I'm a sodomite. And God struck her dead, turned her into a pillar of salt. God's people are supposed to be salt in the world and that preserves. If she wasn't going to live as spiritual salt, she was going to die as physical salt. Some of you are like Lot's wife. When it really comes to deciding who you are and what you will be, you're a sodomite. Number three, Lot's two daughters. They leave Sodom with him, but they take Sodom in them. It's not just enough to leave Sodom. Sodom needs to leave you. So the daughters flee with their father. Now, the question that everybody wants to ask is, well, are the daughters believers or not? Because some people, they say they belong to God, they're walking with God's people, but the way they behave doesn't indicate that they really belong to God. So you don't know, God has to determine. But what happens to the two daughters is this, they leave with their father, and they saw their mother get killed by God. And they didn't take it seriously enough. So they flee with their father. They go up into a cave, the Bible says. And these girls think the apocalypse has come. This is the end of the world. We're all gonna die. And they're lamenting that they'll never be mothers. So they devise a plan to get their father drunk and take turns sleeping with him so that they can become pregnant with his babies. And the point is this, if you raise your children in Sodom, don't be shocked when they grow up to act like Sodomites. And you can get your family out of Sodom, but if family lives, rather if Sodom lives in your family, it's still going to be destruction. 
They got out of Sodom, but they didn't get Sodom out of them. Some of you, I love you, I'm your pastor, my job is to tell the truth, your job is to make a decision. Some of you are like, I, I, I am with God's people and I have left Sodom, but yeah, there's some really dark things in me that I fully haven't put to death. And if I don't, they're gonna cause me to do some very nasty things. And then there's Lot. And Lot, he walks away from Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't turn back, he doesn't go back. Lot is not a wonderful man. He's not a particularly godly man. Anytime you're so drunk that both of your daughters sleep with you, you don't get father of the year. You just, you're, you don't get a card for Father's Day. You get tasered. That's what you should get for Father's Day. But the Bible says that he was a righteous man. And, and it may be because on the one day when he had to make the biggest decision of his life, Sodom or Jesus, he turned his back on Sodom and he turned his face toward Jesus. Christians aren't perfect, we are sinners. We have our faults, flaws, and failures. But our identity is in our savior, not in our sodomy. Last point, test number four, authority. Jude eight through 10. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, very spiritual. God is still speaking. I had a vision, an angel showed up, God spoke to me. I was reading the Bible and God revealed something brand new that no one's ever seen. Oh my gosh, the Lord is working. Deception. These people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh. They, they do things to the body that God forbids, it's unnatural. They reject authority, that's the big issue. You can't tell me what to do. I don't acknowledge any authority. We live in a day, ah, I'm out of time, but let me just say this. Um, authority is either external or internal. Almost every human being wants the only authority that they acknowledge to be internal. That's what I think, that's what I feel, that's what I want, that's who I am. As a Christian, we believe that authority is external. There is a God, he rules from a throne, he leads by the Holy Spirit, he speaks through the scriptures, all of that is external authority. And people who reject authority, they will appeal to their feelings. They will appeal to their ideas. They will appeal to their desires. We're gonna talk about this more next week when I deconstruct the deconstructionists. Come back for that. Blaspheme the glorious ones, that's angels. But when the archangel Michael contending with the devil was disputing the body of Moses, and this is the section, by the way, why no one wants to teach the book of Jude. It's, people are like, huh? Uh, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Let me summarize. This is a story from outside of the Bible. It's in, it's in the study guide, but Jude quotes two ancient books, uh, First Enoch, and he alludes to another book called The Assumption of Moses. Let me say this briefly. People are like, well, why does the Bible quote another book? Because all truth is God's truth. So in the Old Testament, it'll quote the book of Jashar and the wars of the Lord. It doesn't mean that those books should be in the Bible, but they have something that's true, so it goes in the Bible. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul quotes some pagan poets that say some things that are true, so they are included. All truth is God's truth, and ultimately God's word is the highest authority. So the Protestant reformers had a Latin phrase, sola scriptura, scripture alone is the highest authority. So we could study medicine and philosophy and you could study architecture or engineering. And then ultimately you'll find things that are true. And then we test everything by the word of God, which is the only perfect thing on the earth and the position and point of highest and perfect authority. That being said, what he's saying is this, there was a battle for the body of Moses. Okay. Moses dies. The archangel Michael, an archangel, that is a military term. He's a commander. 
in the Lord's army, shows up and Satan is there. And there is a debate as to which one, God or Satan, gets to claim the body of Moses. What Michael does, he rebukes in the Lord's name. Anytime we're dealing with the demonic, you will never defeat pride with pride. You can only defeat pride with humility. And what happens when we're talking about the demonic, certain people become very arrogant, which is a trap of the devil. I rebuke you, I command you, I cast that spirit out. Holy Spirit, I command you to come. Like, whoa, what are you, what are you doing? We don't tell angels what to do and we don't tell God what to do. Because we're under the authority of God and the angels. We're not over God or the angels. Now as God's children, we can humbly request. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. Lord, would you please do this for me? You can humbly request as a child of God. But Michael didn't stand before the devil and say, do you know who I am? I'm Michael, I'm an archangel. There's only two angels in the Bible that have a name. And God sent me because I'm a commander. No, what he said was, the Lord rebuke you. This fight ultimately isn't about you. It's between Satan and God. And you're in the middle of the battle. And if you start being arrogant and giving orders, you're demonic. And you've fallen into the temptation and trap of spiritual warfare. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord is the one with all authority and vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and, and the battle belongs to the Lord. So what he says is angels honor authority and demons don't. The question is, how about you? How about you? You say, I'm under the Lord's authority and I come in the name of the Lord under the authority of the Lord. Or is it that false counterfeit trinity of me, myself, and I? And what he says is that, that those who are arrogant like Satan, they blaspheme. So let me, let me close with this. The blasphemy uses this word twice, to insult, slander, dishonor, abuse, defame, disguise, or revile God in his word. How do we know who the apostates are? They blaspheme. They say God said when God said the exact opposite. Pastor Mark, um, my girlfriend and I, we really love each other and uh, we decided to live and sleep together, but we think it's okay because we really prayed about it, blasphemy. Well, yeah, I am married, but I don't feel like my spouse is taking care of me and my needs aren't getting met. And so I've got somebody else outside of the marriage, but you know, I feel like it's justified because my spouse hasn't lived up to what they were supposed to do, blasphemy. I believe that the Bible is an old book and it has some errors and some problems and we should, we should just sort of ignore or overlook or explain away those parts that, that are no longer accurate, blasphemy. I believe that Christianity is just an oppressive system put together by domineering men to uh, take advantage of those who are marginalized and outlaw. And, 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 and as a result, then I just, I just reject what the Bible says because I see it as a heteronormative, patriarchal, chauvinistic book of oppression, blasphemy. My pastor officiated a same-sex marriage, blasphemy. Um, we pray to other gods in our church because we're, we're inclusive, blasphemy. Um, we, we, we welcome everyone into leadership in our church regardless of their belief or behavior. We don't, we don't discriminate, blasphemy. Blasphemy. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. I'm gonna bring the band up. You ready to sing? You will in a moment. Let me explain this to you. <laughs> Here's what he says. He says, there were angels that sinned and rebelled against God. They defied authority. They were arrogant. They were perverted. They were rebellious. They were defeated. And all that God has for them are eternal chains of gloomy judgment. No salvation for any demon. No forgiveness of sin for any demon. No eternal life for any demon. We've done the exact same thing as the demons. We've rebelled against authority. We've been arrogant and proud. We've acted independently. We've been perverted and we have been self-righteous. 
and self-destructive. And God did something amazing for us that he didn't do for the demons. He didn't send fire down, he sent Jesus down. And he didn't send fire down to destroy us, he sent Jesus down to save us. And we get to enjoy salvation, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, reunion with God, something demons don't have even the possibility of enjoying. You need Jesus, you need to repent of your sin, you need to trust the word of God. There is a fire coming. And you need to walk with Jesus and walk away from the blast zone, amen? Why don't you stand and worship Jesus with me? We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you want to be a part of getting more Bible teaching out across the world, visit realfaith.com slash donate. And for more content like this, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's all about Jesus.